Mad Unreal. This is Arthur. That is Isaac. And we are anxiously waiting to start this particular episode because The Mandalorian Season 2 is out. The wait is over. Um, But we had a bit of um, sad news uh, yesterday, uh, the 31st of October, uh, the day of this recording, uh, where we lost Sean Connery, uh, 90 years old, passed away in his sleep in Nassau, Bahamas. Um, and I have to say a very Bond-esque way to, uh, pass on Isaac. Mm. I mean, it's, it, if you follow our show, you know that we have been doing a series called 007 and Counting because we are anxiously awaiting whenever the hell they decide to release No, no Time, Time to, to Die. die. Mm-hmm. Um, my money is on the streaming platform. If you are strong followers of this show... Isaac is not. He's a skeptic. My, my money, for the record, my money is on November 2021. Yeah. So um, we very likely will um, talk more about Mr. Connery um, as we get back into 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 that series. And we have a final review for 007 and Counting uh, film Spectre. Um, but that said, I mean... If you really want to talk about a iconic actor or an actor who is completely defined by a role that he played, I, I my number one pick would be Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. And that being said, he was actually able to not be typecast throughout the rest of his career. Yeah, I was about to say because I As would James say, Bond. yeah, I was, I would say instead of completely defined by that role, he completely defined that role. And somehow mm-hmm. through some small, you know, some small turn of fate, he was able to not himself, you know, be defined by the role. In other words, he got to play other things, you know, and do other things yeah. and do them well. But yeah, he, I think his, his um, imprint on Bond is indelible and eternal. You know, it's like, you can't, get away because he wasn't my first bond he wasn't your first bond you know your no, first bond roger was Moore, roger yeah. right yeah so mine was roger in the in the in the in the um early to mid 80s um was roger and it was like i was i was aware of bond but i wasn't into bond but i knew roger Moore was bond um and at that point you know i didn't even know because i mean i was very 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 young very small i didn't know of sean connery you know in that context yeah. you know um but it was later on when mm-hmm. i was like oh you know he was the original bond then you go back and watch those movies so yeah he he hit the you know what he did starting off i think it, sh- it should be noted and like you said we'll get into this more i guess um maybe in the specter um 007 and counting episode but it should be noted that he did not it didn't take him a long time to kind of like evolve into bond it was like from yeah. first scene. <laughs> you remember at the at the at the roulette table or at the uh, the table at the gambling place wherever they were at, and you know he lights a cigarette and Sylvia Trench says, you know Trench Sylvia Trench, and then mm-hmm. the camera turns on Connery and he's like Bond James Bond, and it was just like immediately, you know, it was like yeah, he had it from it. he put that stand. It was like okay, that was kind of like the archetype of what Bond was going to be from that first scene. And that's pretty, 
That's pretty rare, man. Because even like you said, people who um, go on to define roles, it, you, you go back and look at the earlier stuff and it's like, okay, you see how they kind of grew into that role or they kind of like evolved into that role. But yeah, Connery was like, he, he did what he did from day one and just kind of build on that. And um, it still has like, it, he's, he's still the measuring, right. the measuring right. stick to some degree. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I liken it in hindsight. Now I realize that coming up with Roger Moore, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's almost like, being a being a Prince fan, a staunch Prince fan, mm-hmm. but your first Prince album was Diamonds and Pearls, <laughs> and then some years later, I thought you were about to say Purple Rain. You said Diamonds and Pearls, <laughs> and then some years later, <laughs> right. you know what I mean. You come across, you know, the Parade album or the Dirty Mind or Sign the Times. You like, right. oh, oh, okay, all right, <laughs> right. This is what it's about. I mean, because yeah, you go back and watch. And this is not to disparage any of the Roger Moore films. Right, right, right. That's but the thing, when you, yeah. <laughs> when you go back and watch um, From Russia With Love, and it's like, oh, it's like this is, or Goldfinger or Thunderball. And it's like, uh-huh. yeah, now I see where this thing started from and what people are talking about when they talk about that DNA right. of of Bond. Um, right. So, yeah, it's it's, and I watched a little bit of From Russia With Love uh, last night. You know, I think he passed early in the morning. Or, you know, that's what I think. I think I got the first flash on my phone earlier mm-hmm. in the day, early morning. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember it was like 8, 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. or whatever. Um, and I made up in my mind. I said, you know, I'm going to watch a little bit of uh, From Russia With Love tonight. And I did. I watched the first 20, 30 minutes of it because mm-hmm. um, it takes a long time for him to show up in that movie. Um, but, yeah, so I watched a little bit of that. And, uh, yeah, man, it is. It is that. That's the <laughs> that's a great analogy. You know, that's like the dirty mind 1999 you know that there's like controversy you know even getting into like you said the the trilogy the parade and you know the uh yeah the yeah. um love sexy stuff it's like yeah you that's that's the dna right there um yeah, and it's like we lived through moonraker and a view to a kill <laughs> right and- <laughs> right and you know and by the time you get to like for your eyes only it's like almost like there's a little bit of that almost a throwback feeling to, you know, to the From Russia With Love tone, you know, to the mm-hmm. old Fleming mm-hmm. tones. Mm-hmm. And it was like trying to get back to that. Um, but yeah, you know, Roger and in particular Pierce Brosnan, I think they took, you know, they did other things. They added extra elements to it. Um, but then when yeah. you talk about getting back to the DNA of Bond, you're always like with Living Daylights or with, you know, Casino Royale, um, or even on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is, you know, one of the best film, one of the best in the entire series. You definitely talking about, yeah, getting back to the Fleming and getting back to the kind of the archetype, like I said, that um mm-hmm. that Sean Connery created. So yeah, so we'll talk more about that. But um yeah, man, so there's only what? So now there's it's uh uh Lazenby, um Pierce Brosnan, Timothy Dalton, Dalton and Craig, you know, left. Um mm-hmm. And that generation, you know, you can see that because Lazenby has got to be getting up there. You know, he's got to be in his his 80s, I imagine. Um, But that generation of Bonds um, is, you know, is is slowly kind of fading out. So, yeah, but uh, very, very, if any any of you have not seen, I mean, I can't imagine if you're listening to the show, you haven't seen any of the earlier Bonds. But if for some reason you haven't, I definitely recommend starting with Dr. No and, and going on through um, you know, by the time you get to Diamonds Are Forever, eh, I'm not sure. But definitely those mm. first four films, at least, you know, Dr. No, 
from Russia with Love, um, Goldfinger and Thunderball um, classics. All right. We got a lot to cover. It's The Mandalorian, season two, episode one. This uh, is Mad yeah. Unreal. All right. Din Djarin, the child. We back at it. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> Doing our thing. <laughs> Questing. <laughs> right. Questing. Right. Walking. Is that floating. even a word? He's, he said it like about five times. I've been quested. To do and it's like, I mean, is that a word? Quested? It's like this motherfucker just make this shit. Yeah, it's like yeah, and it seemed like he was telling people that didn't. I, I'm random not random people. What is? Yeah, like I don't even know. You know, just random people on the street. He was just bumping into. I've been quested to unite this child with his people, and it's like, all right, I just asked you what time it was, my I, I didn't need to know all that. But yeah, so yeah, they're back. They are back in action. They are um, back. So let's do a, just a quick reminder of of where Mando was, you know, in season one. Um, just, you know, just the last time that we saw him going into this. You mean from like okay? So you mean from like when he we la- when we last saw him in chapter eight? Because that's yeah. you know, and that's 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 an that's an important point right there um, from the get go. Is that chapters? I, I was expecting this to be you know season one episode one, uh, chapter one. You know the the marshal mm-hmm. whatever. But when you saw on the screen, the first thing you see is chapter nine, the marshal. It's like, oh, there. this is like one huge, you know what I'm saying? It was like it, that intent is there to say that, hey, this is one big story. And yeah, we know these are different seasons, but this is attached to this. So you last saw chapter eight. Here's chapter nine. I thought that was pretty, that right. was pretty cool. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. I you thought it saying. was a nice touch, too. No, I thought it was a nice touch, too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we definitely know that he's quested to find... Uh, the child's people mm, by the armor and yeah. by the armorer um we we as the audience we know that moff gideon uh is alive and does have the the dark saber mm-hmm. the the fabled and um mythological maybe um mythological well it's mythological not actually, it's but not even, um yeah, revered revered yeah revered revered and, yeah, because it's, it's held by the, the rulers of... I mean, whoever has it is like the ruler of Mandalore. Right. So mm-hmm. the revered Darksaber, which is a very uh, lightsaber-like weapon, mm-hmm. um, something that actually draws a parallel uh, between the Mandalorians as a people and the Jedi uh, as an order. The Sith also. Mm-hmm. But that being said, what what what... Mando doesn't know is that Moff Gideon is still alive and presu- and pres- actively looking for him. Mm. Um, Mando never also knows, knows when that- somebody is looking for him. Like he spent half a season one not knowing, really knowing. You know, what I'm saying it's like, yeah, them cats you did that yeah. too on that planet. They haven't forgotten that. You know, the, these. You know, it's like stuff is still happening. You know, he's being watched through half of this episode. He's kind of unaware of it, but we'll get to that. We also find out in. Uh, well, in chapter nine in the Marshall, we also find out that he likes droids. Mm. And that is actually a pivotal piece of information mm. because his parents were killed by battle droids. Mm-hmm. And since that time, he has always had a great distrust for droids. But it turns out that it was a droid that Quill reprogrammed 
Man, shout out to Quill. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> My man. Reprogrammed to pr- to protect ultimately the child, but also but also Mando, and it was a, ba- a reprogrammed battle droid that saved his life. Was it a battle it droid, really or what they call what they call pro- protocol droids? Is that what they call? They're called no, not protocol. No, that's that's no, the oh yeah. oh 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 no, he was an assassin droid. Was that is what that what they're called? I don't know what they're called, but it was something. We got to look it up. But yeah, it was IG eleven. Yeah, IG eleven. Yeah, IG eleven. Who who saved everyone? You know, what I'm saying saved all yeah, of them. Absolutely. And, Dude um, walked through lava. And yeah, and then became the only one to see Mando without his uh, without his helmet on. You know, he's the only oh, one right. who's in the series that that we know of that's seen him without his helmet on. Did we learn anything about the child that we didn't know between chapter eight and chapter nine? Um, no, I think, let me ask you this, because this is, this was, um, this is interesting to me. Do you, when you're turning this, when you're watching this on Disney plus and they do the recap and then it has the, in the, the bottom right hand corner, it says skip intro or skip recap mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you click that or do you watch the recap? I try to click it, but I usually run out of time and end up watching. The recap <laughs> so anyway. you can't find it. But otherwise <laughs> I would have skipped the recap. Okay. So I watch you know, not every time I watch the episode, but the first time I watched it, I watched the recap. And I do that because a lot of times, not just on this show, but on a lot of shows, they, you know, obviously they specifically choose certain things to recap, you know, and say, okay, Mm -hmm. because some of these things are to inform you, but a lot of these things are not only to inform you, they're to kind of give a nod to a point of storytelling that we're going to get to in this episode. So we want you to remember certain things. Um, and there was nothing, you know, they recapped everything about Mando and the child. But I thought what was interesting to me was that they also threw Quill's voice in there. And the Quill says something. I don't think we saw Quill in the recap, but he said um, something along the lines of, you know, none of us will be free until the old ways are destroyed, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why? That was interesting that they threw that in there, you know, because. It's almost a it, it could be a foreshadow for the first order, you know, that, you know, because the Republic was not vigilant enough about completely ridding the galaxy of, you know, the old ways, um, right. you know, that gave rise to the first order. But it also felt like, OK, what does that have to do with Mando? You know, what does that have to do with this episode? And what does that have to do with the season we're about to get? You know, are we mm-hmm. about to get into some of this? Here are the seeds that are going to lead to another kind of empire-like organization rising, um, and maybe out here in the outer realms because there's so much disorder, there's so much um, pain still. And there's a couple. We'll get to it later, but there's a couple lines throughout this episode that kind of also kind of nodded in that direction. Like you know, ever since the empire fell, shit has mm-hmm. been really effed up. You know, and it's like that that line of quills kind of like really kind of stuck with me. And I thought it was interesting that they put that in the recap. Um, but to answer your question, as far as what's between chapter eight and chapter nine, I don't think there's in, again, I don't know how much time has passed as well. It feels like not a lot of time, not a lot. Yeah, it doesn't time feel has like a lot at all. Yeah. Um, and matter of fact, this could have been at the end of chapter eight, we see him. He buries quill. Um, Mando buries quill. And then he, and uh, you know, uh, the child take off and this could have been their first stop you know this could have been their first stop so yeah that's where we are at the moment well i, I want to get into the opening scene because um we, we we're pretty much uh, already you know alluding to things that we want to get to um so i i don't i don't want to have any 
you know, in episode spoilers in that way. Right. Well, let me ask but, you, can I ask you a broad question though? And we spent yeah. like literally two seconds on this, but what was your, your overall impressions? Like your first, your, 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 of the entire episode of the Marshall, did you feel, and we'll, then we'll, you know, obviously we'll start breaking it down, but did you feel, were you satisfied? Were you more than satisfied or were you mm-hmm. disappointed or where, where were you at after you watched this episode? Um, you know, I, I, I actually was a little let down overall. Mm, okay. Um, there are, there are more, many more highs than lows, mm. but there were a couple of lows that, um, I felt were, they were, they were hard to forgive, mm. you know, um, I think specifically the the overall the overall plot of the story mm-hmm. you know reminded me of was it episode was it chapter four mm. <laughs> yeah the uh <laughs> the dice the dallas bryce dallas howard episode the bryce yeah. dallas how yeah where, where you know it's like mando brokers two groups of people mm. who don't like traditionally get along mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to defeat a common en- enemy mm-hmm. he does what he does in part to retrieve Mandalorian armor. And we'll get to that armor in a minute, but to retrieve Mandalorian armor, but he really doesn't get what he came for. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Right. I, you know, I, I think that's, I'm glad we, we had that kind of broader look at it to begin this, um, this discussion, because for me, and because, because we'll be able to break that down in a few minutes, but for me, I think the first time I watched this episode, I watched it twice. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think the mm-hmm. first time I watched it, I had kind of a similar feel as you. Like it was like, uh, it was kind of meh. Like, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. hmm, opening the season with a side mission. Interesting. But I watched it the second time and I was like, this shit is great. Like I was like this. I and Yeah, okay. If you know, if you think about it, because, you know, we talk about this stuff a lot offline. I'm not the type of person who I rarely have a second opinion that's wildly different from my first opinion. So it was interesting to me why I think that happened. And we'll get into it as we break it down. But I think I understand why I had such a different reaction the second time I watched it as opposed to the first. So so let's let's get into it. Um, The first scene, you say you want to talk about the first scene. Yeah, well, the first scene, you know, opens with um, Mando and the child, uh, you know, questing. (laughs) <laughs> just as they do you know as they do um i will say though i will say though it has the feel that this was the first stop mm-hmm. but i think there was a stop in between getting here because as we find out in this opening scene where mando we find out is actually <clears throat> going to to meet somebody mm-hmm. and he's you yeah know, going, yeah going, yeah he says i was told yeah i was told you yeah. you would know yeah yeah. yeah, and that, that um, makes sense though because I think with Star Wars a lot they want to leave those little gaps so they can do a comic book or they can do a novel so it's like okay uh-huh. what happened between chapter 8 and chapter 9 oh yeah. this new novel about Chuck Wendig is going to explain all that you know it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is is smart for them business wise and to be honest it's fun we, for right, us we don't need 300 pages for to find out that he you know got a piece of this information right but, it, but if it's dope we'll buy it you know, and it's like, that's, <laughs> that's cool, you know? So yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're right. He probably did have another stop um, in between there. 
So, um, yeah, so, you know, they're rolling through the street and um, we, we see it's at night and we see these red eyes of some unknown creature, a, a, just a gang of unknown creatures mm -hmm. um, that, are, that are at bay and seemingly at bay because the path that they're walking on is well lit. Mm -hmm. um, and they, uh, they gain entry into uh, a fight, actually. Uh, a Gamorrean fight, and Gamorreans were the, I guess, the guards that we saw in several Star Wars films. They're usually the ones that get taken out first. I think the first time was and, Return of the Jedi, right? Guarding, uh, I, I guarding, thought, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, and Jabba's and Jabba's, Jabba's palace, had, Jabba's crib, yeah. yeah. I said Jabba's hat, yeah. <laughs> Jabba's crib, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now let me ask you this though: Did those creatures? First of all, I loved the opening, the walk-in. You know, where you. Mm -hmm. It opens up. You got the graffiti, the graffiti well, on the Well, even before too. that, when the camera is just looking dead at Mando on the right, Baby Yoda on the left, and mm -hmm. they're walking towards you, and it almost felt Michael Mannish. You know what I'm saying? It, it had that. Mm -hmm. They could have been in LA. You know what I'm saying? They could have been in LA mm -hmm. in, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. at, just after dusk or late at night, and they're walking down the street. Like, if I would have heard a Michael, you know, a synth tone come in or something. You know something uh, from Collateral or the Heat. You know it wouldn't have surprised right. me. Right, um, but or I dug the, it, man. The, I really... the intro to uh, In the Air Tonight. Yeah, you know, just something <laughs> come in. You know, yeah. I, somebody could do that. I'm sure somebody will do that on YouTube. We'll probably recut it, but I felt it was very, you know, again, and we'll get into the more of the Western tones that are mm -hmm. heavily throughout this episode. But there was that feeling of um, the two strangers walking into the town, and you know the confidence that they have, you know, the Mando, I'm not, you know, the child is, <laughs> I don't think the ch child has any, you know, uh, confidence yet or any type of swag yet, but swagger yet. But yeah, the confidence that the Mando has and he's just walking and they're kind of like taking their time. And then the camera finally leaves them and kind of shows you all that graffiti, you know, on the wall. Yeah. So it was like, okay, now we're out of the Western theme and we're into some type of retro almost future you know or like an 80s 70s type thing we know where there's graffiti mm -hmm. everywhere you know um I, I just dug the whole vibe man it was really really mm -hmm. it felt very cinematic um and mm -hmm. it had a had a slightly different tone than season one you know um season one opener remember in chapter one he's walking through the snow through the, the he's walking away from the camera too away yeah. from the camera yeah towards the uh, the canteen or whatever mm -hmm. and this just had a different feel to it but still felt very much within the same you know universe so i really dug that something that i took note of is that at the door of entry um there's a twi'lek who's who's effectively guarding the door mm -hmm. the, the doorman right mm -hmm. um that was his i believe that was his name in the uh in the credits i think it was doorman i think it was like you know whatever doorman yeah i, I, I think so yeah <laughs> hilarious um, and it's weird. He doesn't say anything, but when Mando sees him, you know, he tells him straight up that, Hey, you know, we're here to, we're here to see Gore Koresh. Mm -hmm. And the Twilight looks at the child and, um, then says, you know, enjoy the fight. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, lets them in. Um, it told me right away that one of two things, either, he was expected, Mando was expected, mm -hmm. you know, or that by seeing the child, he knew, you know, he already knew what was up. 
mm-hmm. you know, to let to let him in. Um, but it gave the overall sense of Gideon putting the word out. Mm. Um, yeah, I got you know that what I'm saying? too. Let me, yeah. because because uh, the the issue with the syndicate, no, the guild. The guild. the guild, guild, the guild, the guild. He resolved his issues with the guild. Yeah. So he mm-hmm. was already reinstated. So he knew that bounty, he, he knew that there wasn't a bounty on the child anymore, that people were coming after him to get the child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it still gave me the tone as, you know, audience gave me the tone that, okay, Gideon still has eyes. Yeah. And I think that was an intentional mislead because when he did look down at the child, there was that mm-hmm. sense of like you said, it was almost like recognition. Like, okay, this is the Mandalorian we're looking for because this is the this yeah. is the child that we're looking for. And yeah. so he lets him in. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. At that point, I'm thinking because we have seen the trailer, and in the trailer we see, you know, Mando in the in the in that fighting in that you know wherever arena, and we see him right. you know getting into he's some talking shit, with basically. Koresh. He's talking with yeah, Koresh yeah, and, yeah, and stuff go everything goes sideways. So we knew that was going to happen. So when I'm looking at the doorman, <laughs> the doorman looking at um, the child and there's that feeling of recognition. I think it was a mislead. I think we were supposed to think, oh, like you said, this is Gideon or somebody has put the word out and now everybody's mm-hmm. looking for the child. And then a few yeah. minutes later, we find out it's not about that at all. You know, it's about the best car, you know, and this right. cat wants that that best car army. I mean, army right. armor. Um, and that was that was an, I think so. I think that was an intentional mislead, which I was fine with because good you know don't let me guess what everything that's about to happen i like it when you mm-hmm. know there's a surprise obviously so mm-hmm. what did you think about what did you think about gore what's how do you say his name gore koresh or goresh gore koresh yeah how did you what did you think about him play by john liguizamo um i actually thought that he was going to be a new minor character because he seemed to be because first of all the reason why mando was going to see gore koresh we find out is because Gore Koresh has information on where another Mandalorian is. Mm-hmm. And Mando wants to hook up with this other man, with this other Mandalorian to basically reestablish a network of information to help him fulfill his quest to find the child's people. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's Mando's goal. Very here. much shades of like the Underground Railroad. That's what I got from yeah. it. What didn't mm-hmm. I feel like that? Like the underground. Yeah, he's like, got to plug back into the network. Right. Like let's That's, find a you know let's find this kind of um you know these coverts, it's a safe house coverts uh-huh. of uh-huh. of Mandalorians are because they're hidden all over the galaxy. Um, they're in hiding, almost like Jedi. You know, almost like Jedi are mm-hmm. you know constantly mm-hmm. in hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so it was like let's establish this underground network, underground railroad of you know um, coverts, Mandalorian coverts, and then I can plug into that. And they can help right. chart my path while I'm questing. Right. And he tells, he tells, he tells, <laughs> right. I've been, que- he sits down and literally like within seconds, I've been quested. Say, and it's like, all right. <laughs> it's like, right. again, he should just get a t-shirt that says, I've Isaac, been I got to tell you at any minute, at any moment, I was expecting to hear the drums from, can I kick it at any moment <laughs> in this episode? Because <laughs> you know, I've been quested. That's the that's the thing about it. we all want to quest. You know, that's the bad thing about being in the pandemic. There's no questing. But yeah, right. Mando gets the quest. Right. So he's been quested. So he hits old boy up, and then he finds out. Yeah, this I got you it's here, just, but it's really about your best car um, that I'm at, that I'm after your your armor that I'm after. Right, and they're gonna jump him. 
and then uh, a real a real great scene of comedy that you would only really pick up had you been faithfully watching season one mm-hmm. is when Mando he's got like five maybe six guns on him mm-hmm. in a seated position and you see from the point of view of well well looking from the point of view of the child you see mando's um what did he call those those the whistling um, birds i believe, I believe yeah the whistling birds light up yeah. yeah on on his on his left wrist mm-hmm. and the child sees sees them light up and he closes his own dome now Which, before yeah go ahead i know you about to say what i'm about to say go ahead <laughs> where before it was mando that would be able to operate yeah, the constantly and the closing right. of the pie that the child is in, but right. the child's like, okay, I know what it, I know what's about to go down. Mm-hmm. I'm forced closing my own joint, and right. I'm just gonna hold on. Well, he reaches. <laughs> he, he reaches. The funny part was I me. Mean, he didn't force close it. He reached over and hit the button himself because it was like, oh, I didn't see him do that. Yeah, watch when you watch it again. It. When you watch it again, you'll see because it's almost like okay, that's what happened between chapter eight and chapter nine. He found out which one of these buttons you know, closes this thing because <laughs> this cat, dad, that's his dad. Basically, dad is always getting into some it's starting some shit. I need to which one of these buttons will keep me safe. And so he reaches <laughs> right. over himself and kiss that button. And it was it was hilarious. And I, you know what? I had seen it in the trailer, but seeing it in the context yeah. of what of everything that's going on, I, I laughed out loud. You know, it was uh-huh. it was really funny. Um, OK, so what did you think about, though, the fight? You know, what did you think about because I, you know, we got snippets of the fight in the trailer as well. Mm-hmm. But what did you mm-hmm. think about the fight? Because I have a really strong opinion about this. Okay. So I, li- I liked the fight. Um, I thought it was. Well, okay. So f- first I was a little confused mm-hmm. because uh, the whistling lasers come out, X out all the guns that are on him, mm-hmm. you know. But he's still fighting about three, four more dudes. <laughs> right, more. And I'm thinking, up. like, wait a minute. I thought he took out everybody. Yeah, I thought he basically took out everybody, and now it was just him and you know him and Koresh. Mm-hmm. But that really didn't happen. Um, uh, I liked I liked the choreography, but it seemed a little you know predictable. The coolest thing about it was how he kicks kicks the child's pod out of the way mm-hmm. and it almost it almost kind of was all you know it, it was more telling of baby yoda being like okay let me close this pod up because I, I know what it's about to go down and let me hold on <laughs> right you can see him inside <laughs> you can see him inside the pod holding on to the rails because <laughs> he's probably gonna throw my ass across the room yeah you know because like this is a routine that they basically worked out this some kind right. of this happens a lot you know right Right. Uh, but it was a little, yeah, but it was a little predictable, and it did kind of feed my overall man to the episode, mm-hmm. you know, um, itself. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there were there were several there were several periods, and this was probably this was the first one where it had a predictable outcome to it. Mm-hmm. Fight breaks out, you know, the main antagonist gets away. Mando dispels of the immediate threat, finds the antagonist, mm-hmm. and you know disables him in some manner, in some you know cool manner. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and and it followed that 
it followed that pattern. I had pretty the much exact, how I figured it was gonna how it was gonna go down. Again, I had the exact reaction that you just described the first time I saw it. Let me ask you: You watched this? Have you seen it on just on your phone, or have you watched it on your big screen? Big screen. Okay. So for me, when I watched it the first time, I watched it on the phone. And I had that same, okay, they're about to get into a big scrap and Mando's going to beat down all these dudes. And that's exactly what happened. And I think some of the detail was lost on the small screen for me. Cause when I watched mm-hmm. it on the big screen, I was like, that was a, that was a very, very well executed fight. And it showed mm-hmm. some new things because we've seen Mando fight before. I've never seen him use his armor the way he used it in that fight because he, in at, at one point, he turned around, a dude was about to throw a punch. Instead of blocking the punch, Mando leaned forward and let the guy hit his, hit his hand against the helmet, knowing that mm-hmm. the guy was about to crush his hand against that Beskar. So it was like he yeah. used his own helmet. It was almost like he, he headbutted the dude's hand. You know, it was yeah. weird. But then he headbutted because dude grabbed him from the back and he headbutted him. Right. He, he headbutted the guy in the yeah. back. Then when he brings out the vibro blade, yo. <laughs> it's like whoosh, mm-hmm. it comes out and mm-hmm. then it's like mm-hmm. he stabs one cat and immediately t- takes stabs one cat doesn't leave the knife in there takes the knife out throws another it had i said i had a strong opinion about this here's the strong opinion to me there was two things that happened in this episode superhero wise that john favreau this this episode was written and directed by john favreau right he he got his iron man vibe later on in the episode and we'll talk about that there's a there's definitive iron man moments in this episode but Mm -hmm. this right here this fight right here was his batman moment i got really Mm -hmm. strong batman vibes off of Mm -hmm. this man it was Mm -hmm. like Uh it felt like a like a scene out of you know uh it was like batman was in you know star wars for a minute um so yeah i I felt the same way you did in in the sense of okay he's about to get into a big scrap and yeah he's going to take all these dudes down but the way he did it um, and he took some hits too, but the way he did it, I thought was really cool. And, you know, it was, it, it, it shows some new things. It was actually some character development in a very, you know, funny way, but yeah, you can develop a character by showing, you know, them using, you know, different, uh, aspects of their fighting that you haven't seen before. Um, yeah. so I, I really liked it. I really liked it. I liked it the second time. The first time I think I, like, again, I had the first, the reaction you did, but, I really liked it. And I really liked him tracking down old boy Gore Koresh after, you know, the scrap is over. He finds him again. And then when he does the Mandalorian, you know, uh, shoots out the rope, grabs dude by the ankles again, Mm -hmm. Batman moment. I feel like that was Batman with Mm -hmm. his grappling hook, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and then he hoists dude up on the light on the light post. Again, it felt another Batman moment to me. That's a good Um, observation. Yeah. It felt very much dark Knightish, you know, and then, He's had he's interrogating old boy and he tells him, um, you know, again, when, when you know, he, you know, he's going to kill him as soon as he says you won't die by my hand. The guy's like, you know, promise you won't right. kill me. And right. Mando says, you I promise you won't die by my hand. OK, that means, mm-hmm. yeah, somebody else is going to do something else and let you get killed mm-hmm. by somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he hoists him there. He gets the information that, um, you know, there's a there is a Mandalorian on Tatooine. And Mando's like, mm-hmm. I've been on Tatooine a lot. There's no Mandalorians there. He's like, no, there is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Mos Peglo, Pe- Pelgo, or whatever his name. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's a Mandalorian there. And, of course, in the back of all our mom, all of our minds, we're thinking Boba Fett. 
Boba Fett. Boba mm-hmm. Fett. Here, here, here mm-hmm. it is. There's the mm-hmm. first the first little seed of Boba Fett. But before we can even get to that, Mando leaves Gore Crush hanging there. Then he turns around and shoots out that light. Now, do you remember in Rebels, um, there were some creatures that Ezra and uh, um, what was Ezra's teacher's name? Ezra's mentor's name? Um, his master's name? Oh. Uh, yeah, I just blanked out too. Um, <laughs> Arthur's raising his hands, like using the force it'll to come, remember. Yeah, it'll, 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 it'll come. Kanan, um, Kanan. Kanan, yeah, Kanan, Kanan. There we go. But yeah, so remember they were battling, they were on some planet and they were battling like these creatures that couldn't come out into the light. They were like, you know, yeah. these wolves or whatever. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if those are the same creatures and if so, is that the same planet? You know, I, that'll come out. Somebody will do some research or whatever. We'll find that out soon. Um, but that's, that's what it reminded me of. Like those creatures couldn't come into light. So as soon as Mando shoots out that light, they come forth. And of course, that's the yeah. end of Crest. And mm-hmm. I thought it was beautiful the way, you know, the camera, you know, Mando walks into the camera. We get his visor like really in the screen and then boom, it snaps into the um, the theme song and you see the Mandalorian. It, it was a good reminder, though, I think that we asked earlier what happened between chapter eight and chapter nine. One thing that didn't happen is Mando did not suddenly become a nice guy, you know, and I think right. that this was a reminder that this dude is a bounty hunter, um, not necessarily an assassin. But he's cold-blooded. You know, he can mm-hmm. be cold-blooded. He also has a code. Mm-hmm. He also is honorable. Um, and he also yeah. has the ability to care, which is why the child is even alive. If it wasn't for mm-hmm. Mando's ability to do those things, the child would have got killed by IG-11 in episode or chapter one. Um, mm-hmm. So him doing that, I thought, was Favreau's way of kind of reminding us who this guy is. Um, he's the anti-hero, you know, and mm-hmm. him leaving old boy just to die there to get eaten by some wolves. Um, some space wolves was, uh, I think, a good way to remind us of that. And I really, I really liked it. Man, I thought it was executed really well. Um. So from there, where do we go? We go to Tatooine. We do, we do. And let mm-hmm. me just say, let me just say that I had the same reaction to Tatooine as Mando did when Koresh said you know he's on Tatooine and Amanda was like Tatooine and, and I was in real time like Tatooine it's like we always got to go back to Tatooine I'm, I'm so it's glad like, you said this I'm so glad you said this because I was gonna I was gonna ask you Star Wars is always talking about well, I shouldn't say Star Wars is talking about it Star Wars fans are always talking about leaving the Skywalker saga behind you know, we got yeah. let's let's get away from the Skywalkers. And actually, you know what? Star Wars is talking about it because that was the whole rise of Skywalker was like, OK, this is the end of the Skywalker. You know, this is it. We're wrapping up the Skywalker thing. They cannot because anytime you go back to Tatooine, you know, what I'm saying it just feels like it's it. they can't get away from Skywalker. And at this point, no. I don't think they should. Like, I'm, I'm I'm at the point now I'm like, it's almost like Skywalker is part of Star Wars DNA. Why are you trying to get away from it? Um, but I, I was like you when they said it. I'm thinking, damn, we going back to Tatooine again? But that's yeah, that's yeah. where Boba. That's where Boba is. You know, that's I, I, I'm just there. like. Well, can we just? I mean, just once. Can we? Can we go back to Endor? Can we, can, <laughs> can we go back? Can we go back to Bespin? Is Cloud City still floating around? Can we go? <laughs> right. Can we go anywhere? Hoth. Anywhere. <laughs> Someplace. Other than right. a desert. Right. We going back to um, the desert. Um, oh, let me let me add this really so, quickly though. Let me add this really quickly though. And I'm going to do this again in in a few minutes. But 
John Leguizamo. Yeah. We both we were talking about it before we started recording. We're both fans. Loved him mm-hmm. since way back in the day. Um, since his early, 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 early films. But I gotta say, man, this was another example to me of John Favreau's friends showing up in Star Wars, and it's like, are they the best fit for this, or is this because you know you you wanted to get John Leguizamo into Star Wars? Um, and I don't know. I think it would have been more effective had that character Gore Gore Koresh if he would have been speaking some alien language, you know, and we got the the Star Wars subtitles. I, I, I'm wondering, you know, if that would have been more effective. So. But this was Favreau friend number one for the season, you know, and I'm thinking we're going to keep we get another one in a few minutes, but we're going to keep getting them throughout the season because I think that's just what I think that's what John Favreau wants. He wants to get, you know, these Hollywood people into these roles. Um, and we saw a lot of that in the in the last yeah. season and it didn't always work. As a matter of fact, it, it didn't work a lot of times. Um, so right, I'm sorry. So we, we're going no. we're going to Tatooine. We're back on Tatooine and we see another with second appearance of another character, uh, Amy Sedaris playing uh, Peli, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. who runs the hangar uh, and is also a part time babysitter. <laughs> um, and here we see this character, not necessarily character development, but the result of this character development, where as soon as the crest, as soon as the Razor Crest lands, her, you know, her mechanic droids sort of, you know, get their tools together, get ready to do a once over. And she says to them, no, 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 no. You know, he hates your kind. What are you going to, you know, don't set him off. Don't set this dude off, you mm-hmm. know. And then Mando comes out and he's like, you know what? You might as well let him because the Razor Crest could use some work. And she's like, oh, you like droids now. And mm-hmm. that's a nod to the last time he was there. You know, he made it well known that he does not like droids. He don't want droids touching him. He don't mm-hmm. want droids touching the ship. He don't want to have anything to do with droids. Right. Um, so I, I think this really speaks to what you brought up a few minutes ago about, I mean, it's really character development. I know in a minute we're going to talk about, you know, the character performance of the Mando throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. But just to touch on this for a quick second, that is a direct evolution, you know, from because, you know, when right. IG-11 died in chapter eight, um, that was a that was a moment for Mando. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It was like he because he mm-hmm. he didn't want him. Mm-hmm. He Mando was like, don't do it. You know, don't do this. You know, um, yeah. And that's a huge contrast from uh, chapter one when he put, uh, you know, not a bullet, but for lack of a better term, he put a bullet in IG-11's head, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was that was a, a major moment. So let me ask you, though, is and let me I, I'll say right now that this Amy Sedaris, I like her, but this was Favreau friend number two, you know, and it mm-hmm. was like she she was all right, but it was like, you know, the jokes felt a little forced and, you know, it was like, again, with the guest stars, it's like, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, familiar. before we get, before we get into any negatives, let me ask you, what did you have one episode? Did you have one moment in this entire uh, show? Like that was your favorite moment or did you not have any favorite moments where you kind of like lukewarm on everything? I got to admit, I don't think, I didn't, I didn't have, okay, wait, 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 let me stop, let me stop, and we will get to this. Mm-hmm. My favorite moment is the entrance of Cobb Vanth. That's my favorite moment. Oh, okay, interesting. All right, okay, so we'll talk about and that. And we'll get to his, why. Yeah, in his section. So, for me, my favorite moment, and we'll definitely talk about this when we get to his section, my favorite moment was literally the last scene, um, was Boba Fett turning away from the Twin Sons, which lasted maybe 1.2 seconds or two seconds most, you know, that, yeah. that, and, and, you know, listen, if you go back and listen to our preview episode a couple of weeks ago, 
I flat out said that, you know, and I've said it before that I'm not mm-hmm. a Boba Fett fan. I'm not a big Boba Fett fan. I'm not one of them kids that was like, he's mm-hmm. so cool and God, you know, we need to do more with him, blah, blah. Nah, I was never like that. And hearing he was going to be a part of this season, you know, remember my, my big fear was that he was going to end up overshadowing not just Mando, but the whole story, you know, and they were going to make yeah. it all about him. That Favreau is really going to focus on Mando or uh, on Boba Fett. But yeah. I have to say, and I'll get into it when we get into you know his section, that turnaround and that look and everything about that really, really intrigued me. Um, so that was my favorite moment. All right. So what's next? The music. Okay. So that was another part of the disappointment, the meh. Mm. Um, wow. Okay. From, from you know from from what I from what I thought about it because I I, I do need to do a second pass mm-hmm. I actually took for granted that chap the soundtrack to chapter nine would be released yeah that's what I wanted to ask you so last... that I was okay well let you know I'm not going to really focus too much on the soundtrack mm-hmm. because I know that I'll be able to listen to the soundtrack you know all by itself and kind of digest. Do you remember if last season, did they start releasing those soundtracks immediately after chapter one or did it take a couple episodes? I have no problem being corrected, but I do believe that the soundtrack for chapter one mm-hmm. dropped the same Friday that Disney released chapter one. Okay. Cause of, I remember in later episodes that happened, but I couldn't remember chapter. And the reason I'm asking is because I looked up before we started recording today, I looked up cause I, I went on Spotify too, like looking like, wow, where's mm-hmm. chapter nine soundtrack? What's up? Mm-hmm. And then I looked up, I Google and it seems like the only thing I could find was that Disney will release Mandalorian season two soundtrack in November. And I'm like, does that mm-hmm. mean they're going to start doing the individual the you know, episodes or are they yeah. dropping all of it? Cause I don't want all of it. I want, I wanted to how they did it last year where you get, mm-hmm. I thought yeah, that was really episode. creative. That was very chapter creative chapter, and it was very useful. Chapter. Yeah. It was like, mm-hmm. it was, yeah. it was really cool. So I'm hoping that's what they're going to do, but I was, I'm like you, I went looking for it. Um, mm-hmm. So, but, oh, but, okay. So, but from what you heard during the episode, while you were listening, while you were actually watching the episode, nothing was really impressive to you. No, but I will say this, that the, that the standout moment for the soundtrack was when uh, the Razor Crest first arrives at Tatooine, it's flying over. Mm. And um, there was a piece that was playing, and it it had that kind of mix of you know modern drum mix, mm-hmm. you know that I kind of like that Ludwig Gornson you know adds to this, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I, I just thought it was you know I, I mean I thought it was cool, and I don't mean to say that in a in a uh, in a dismissive way, mm-hmm. but it was something that perked my ears up and actually made me look forward to you know listening to the soundtrack you know mm-hmm. in its entirety. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we'll be able to do that soon. Yeah, I, I think. So I kind of want to put the if if the jury can just be out on my side, you mm-hmm. know, about the soundtrack because nothing necessarily stood out to me, uh, but I was more focused on on the narrative uh, and the story structure mm-hmm. than I was on 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 the music. Well, I, I think one of the hardest things to do is you know from a, the composition side, and this is obviously from the outside looking in. <laughs> Is that when you come up with a great theme, you know, mm-hmm. which he did for season one, you know, I, the Mando mm-hmm. theme I love, you know, um, all the, you know, everything from the whistling, the, you know, the, the kind of the Western vibe of it, 
And I even love the the vamp, you know, the dun, 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 which I didn't really. The first time I heard it, when I heard it in uh, season one, I was like, eh, you're taking it a I'm little la- too far there, Gore. Hey, man, I'm laughing because when we get that vamp, it's when he's approaching. He's approaching Tatooine, the planet. It's like and hero it's like, moment. Dun, 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 and I'm like, I'm not happy to be back here. <laughs> right. This is not. This is not the hero moment for me. Again, that's the Skywalker thing, though, man. That is the Skywalker <laughs> thing. It's like you approaching Skywalker land. It's a celebratory yeah. Star Wars nah. moment. It's like we're nah. going back to Tatooine, even though we keep saying we're going to get away from the Skywalkers. We're back on Tatooine. Dun, dun, right. dun. Yeah. It's like, nah. Too but, early. <laughs> but Too you know soon. what? The first time they, they did that in season one, which I think was in the second episode after he fixed the Razor Crest. Um, yeah. at the end of the episode and he took off you know and Quill is like waving goodbye and that was, I think that was the first time we heard that dun, 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 dun. and I was like Ugh, that's taking it a little too far it was, I almost felt like he was trying to compete or not compete to live up to you know the John Williams you know vibe you know that had been mm-hmm. set with Star mm-hmm. Wars but I've grown to really like that because I you know I, I'm just like uh, I'm sure you've done the same thing over the last year you yeah I just thought that it was I really did think it was too soon in the episode mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. to drop that. Um, but, 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 you I, know, that's also point of view. Like, like there probably, you know, there may be some fans that, you know, like the reconnection, mm-hmm. you know, to Tatooine mm-hmm. and, you know, to give it that, 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 you know, that Avengers feel to it, mm-hmm. you know, that we, you know, we back at it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very, it was almost kind of, we saw my bond at the beginning of this episode. It was almost bond esque because in a lot of bond movies, even at the beginning of the damn, <laughs> he'll be walking down the street, you know, he'll be doing something really early in the, the whole, the movie. Da-da, and he's just, he's, he's shaving, you know what I'm saying? It's like, what are, we, what are y'all doing? It's like, right. Why are we, you know, literally in, uh, uh, I think it's tomorrow never dies. Is it tomorrow never dies or the world is not enough. It's the world is not enough. And he's like, it's the pre-titles. And he's just like walking down the street. Like first time you see him. And mm-hmm. it's like, what? It's like, wow. Way to using that theme really early. So it was very Bond-esque to hear, you know, the Mando theme so early or the, the show theme. But I maintain it's to me, it's a very difficult thing to mm-hmm. take that, you know, theme and then figure out a way. Okay, we have to incorporate it in season two, but we have to find new ways to interpret it. And those ways have to, those interpretations have to fit the narrative that we're, that we're, you know, putting it, that we're putting forth. I thought he did a good job of that this episode because there's several mm-hmm. times, um, you know, we'll get into this again. We'll keep, we'll get into this throughout this episode, throughout this podcast. This episode of Mandalorian, like doubled down on the whole Western theme. Like it just went yeah, hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. And so what Gorenson did is he, you know, he stripped that theme down a lot of times, the Mando theme, just to a guitar or something like that, and made it feel even more Western than it already was, while not losing, you know, the essence of what made it dope in the first place. And um, and then there were several, you know, that opening scene, um, you know, the fight, the the fight has a very kind of, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, a very kind of sinister undertone. Um, mm-hmm. The climactic battle between the, um, you know, everyone in the crate dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the score worked really well there. So I, you know what I'll do, I, I get, we'll do what you're saying. We'll keep the jury out. Um, I think maybe we'll do, maybe we'll do a full music episode of the Mandalorian. Um, once we have the music, um, cause we need to listen to it again. But I, I thought overall, just listening to it within the context of the narrative, I really, I really liked what I heard. Yeah. Okay. 
All right, so what's uh, what's the next section? Now the characters, the performance of the characters. And let's start off with possibly Pedro actually in that suit. Do you think he was in this episode? Do you think do you think that was him? I'll be honest with you, man. After hearing what um, Bryce Dallas Howard said and how she actually never worked with him mm-hmm. during her episode, I, at this point, I'm basically skeptical that he's even <laughs> he's ever in the suit, other than other than Chapter Eight mm-hmm. when when uh, when IG Eleven removed his helmet. Well, I, I wonder if, on one hand, I wonder if Favreau and team kind of caught the vibe of what was going on online where people were really disappointed by that and they decided yeah. okay we have to have him in the suit more this season on mm-hmm. the other hand i did hear rumors that there was a um, mild um disruption or mild um disagreement between uh pablo and favreau and about you know he wanted his face to be on screen more you know what I'm saying he wanted mm-hmm. to take the helmet off more again mm-hmm. This is just something I heard. I, this is not confirmed, so take this with, mm-hmm. with a grain of salt. Um, but when I think about that, and, and I, from what I heard, if 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 that is true, I, I think the beef got kind of squashed really quickly. But if that is true, it makes sense, you know. As an actor, you know, especially an actor that's not like you know, he's not he ain't, he ain't Brad Pitt. You know, what I'm saying he's not at the top of the the um, yeah. he's not a list a list actor in Hollywood. So as an actor, you know, every role helps you, you know, ascend. And for that Mm -hmm. to happen, Mm -hmm. people need to see you. Um, So if he's not able to ever take off that helmet for, you know, 90% of the show, 90, 98% of the show, except for when there's happens to be robots around and he can take off his, (laughs) he can safely Mm -hmm. take off his helmet. um, That's, that could be a problem for, for an actor. So I, I understand that, but going back to the original point, I wonder um, yeah, if that was him in this episode, because obviously in this episode, he never takes off his helmet. Um, yeah. So was that Pablo under that suit or did he just do the voice? You know, he did he just was he is he a simply a voice actor again for this? Um, I don't know. It's, it's easier. I think in season one, we talked about this. Sometimes you can tell it's that brother underneath that suit. I forgot that brother's name, but you can tell just by the way he moves, by the way he walks. It's like I know that that's old boy. You know, it's like that's not that's not Pablo. Um, yeah. or it's not the other guy. Cause I think there's two main stunt actors. Um, but yeah, if it's, if it's to that degree, shouldn't those stunt actors have their name? Shouldn't it be like starring, you know, this guy and this guy? Yeah. And- well, you know, <laughs> David Prowse is Darth Vader and James Earl Jones as the voice of Darth Vader. I like for, we, you know, I never had any desire to see James Earl Jones be inside the Darth Vader costume mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have a problem with, uh, Pedro Pascal, you know, voicing the Mandalorian. But, mm-hmm. um, I'm not, I guess I'm not of the group that, I was disappointed that he wasn't in the suit. And it did make me question, is he ever in the suit? Mm-hmm. Um, we have to presume that he was. Um, well, I mean, I guess we don't have to presume anything, right? We right. definitely have to presume that he's the one that's voicing him. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and we actually know that he was the one that shot that scene in Chapter 8. Mm-hmm. Um, when IG-11, you know, basically logic him into taking his helmet off right mm-hmm. right <laughs> um but i would like to see i would like to see uh pedro's face more um because for me it adds to it, to me it adds to his character and i really am a fan of character development and i do like the way that these 
these uh, post-season one nods to um, Din Djarin's development are kind of rolling out. You know, but I do think that it would tell more by seeing Din Djarin's face more about what he's feeling mm-hmm. because we get a sense of what he's feeling, you know, by his actions. But your facial expressions tell what you're feeling even before you make the action mm-hmm. because you're basically working that out, making those decisions in, you know, with yourself. You know, mm-hmm. in the face is is the revealer of that in most cases, particularly when you're by your, when you're alone. And yeah, when you're alone, because I, I thought in this episode and maybe we'll get it in a future episode this season. But I thought or I think what we'll get is a because he has to take the armor off sometimes. I assume he bathes every, you know, whatever. Once in a while. Right. Once and in it's a while. hot as hell on tattoo. Right. Is there is there an AC unit in that armor? Is it that advanced? I don't know. Is there a self-cooling something in that armor? But <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has to take the armor off. So I thought we would get a scene on the Razor Crest, you know, in between mm. them flying from here to there because mm-hmm. he can't reveal himself to the child. So I thought we would get a scene where he locks himself in the, you know, shower stall or bait, wherever the hell on the razor crest. Cause we know it has mm-hmm. a toilet. So it must have mm-hmm. somewhere to shower. So he would lock himself in there, remove his armor. Maybe they could even make it almost like a ceremonial thing. You know, where you've mm-hmm. seen like mm-hmm. samurai, I've seen samurai movies and, you know, uh, uh, movies of that ilk where they, they make a scene out of someone either putting on, you know, their, 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 their gear before they go to war or taking it off, you know, afterwards mm-hmm. or whatever to show the importance of, you know, that armor. So maybe mm-hmm. they do something like that. And then he can actually look in the mirror and you can, like you said, you get, you know, what he's going through, the decisions he's making, whatever, just by the way, the expressions that are on his face. Yeah. I think we'll, I think we'll get something like that. Cause not only is it important to do that for us, from a narrative standpoint and to tell us something, obviously I think it's important for them to give Pedro Pascal something like, dude, you know, we can't have you. What is the point in us, you know, championing you as the star of the show? If, you know, no one ever sees you and truth mm-hmm. be told, you're never in that suit. You know, it's, it's a stunt guy in the suit. Yeah. Um, so uh, other than that, I think for me, did you, have, I'm sorry, did you have something else you want to add about, about, uh, about Amanda? I do, but it's coming when we talk about uh, uh, Cobb. Okay, so for me, for Mando, I liked, mostly I liked everything he did in this episode. There's one thing, and it could be a nitpick, but I don't think so. I think it's actually something important. So what I liked, um, I liked seeing him conversate and have not just empathy, but also um, a shared, almost a bond with the Tusken Raiders, you know, the quote unquote Mm -hmm. sand people. Mm he when they when he's when he when he's questing and he's uh he you know that he's on his way to is he like yeah he's on his way to tap he's on his way to find mas peglo or pelgo um the the city that has been removed or wiped off the map you see him he basically it takes a while for him to get there because he starts off in the day then there's night then there's day again and at night you see him sitting around that fire with the tuscan raiders um, yep. conversating with them, assuming asking them, you know, what they know about Miles Pe- Peglo, but it gives a real kind of depth to his character, his connection to these people, um, and his respect for them. So I, I really, uh, you know, that, I think that added really something nice to his, um, again, it reinforced something that we knew about him from season one. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I also liked that, again, this was a big, and we'll really get into this in a little bit, but this is a big side mission. This is a quest within a quest, you know? Um, but what really tripped me out, man, is that Mando was going around telling everybody he's, you know, he's been quested. You know, he told everybody right. that he gets to this town. He finds out, you know, there is a Mandalorian there or there's somebody wearing Mandalorian armor, turns and he sees him. And when do sits down, when Kyle Vance sits down to take a drink and he removes his helmet, Mando like just froze for a second. And it hits him. First of all, it's like he's greatly offended, you know, and then he realizes this cat is not a Mandalorian. So what got me, though, is that he makes the decision over the next you know, few minutes of show. He makes the decision that, um, OK, to get this Mandalorian ar- armor back from this guy, I'm going to make a deal with him that I'm going to go kill, help him kill this crate dragon. So he had this whole quest, Arthur, that he's been telling everybody about. And within the space of like minutes, Quest gets put on hold, you know what I'm saying? And I've got to get this armor back because I'm a Mandalorian and the creed says no non-Mandalorian is going to be walking around in our armor, you know, disrespecting it. So I, that's the number one thing of importance to me to the point where he, like you said earlier, he risks his life. He turns yeah. at one point and tells Kyle Vanth, take care of the child. You know, I got an idea. Take care of the child. Because yeah. I may not make it back. Yeah. And at what point at which point I kind of expected Kyle Vance to turn him and say, Hold up, you need to tell me more about this quest then. <laughs> like, wait a minute. If you're gonna leave the child with me, what's the quest and what you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I need more yeah. information from you. Um, but yeah, just within a split second, he tells him, you know, take care of the child. I'm gonna go try something. So he's risked everything, Arthur. He puts everything on hold, the child, the quest, all that, simply to get this get this armor. And I liked it. I, I think that it spoke to his code, how seriously he takes the Mandalorian creed. Um, and this is the way, you know, and it, it really I think it, and I think that's going to get tested, obviously, of course, mm-hmm. any good writing is going to test that, you know, push that to the max and see how far he can go with that um, yeah. for good and for bad. But I really felt that in this episode, I really liked how, you know, it showed how much that that creed is important to him. Now, before I, before, I, before, I, before I move off of this and we move into the next character, there is one nitpicker. I, I shouldn't say nitpick. I, it, it is something I think that they made a mistake with on this episode involving Mando. Okay. And that is the fact, and Mando and the child, that is the fact that there is not one scene, not one instance in here where he and the child are communicating, you know, at all. And mm-hmm. if you go mm-hmm. back to the first season, some of the most important parts of the, the the season were his interaction with the child obviously they can't talk to each other they don't you know i don't know if the child doesn't know the language or he's just not able to talk right to him, whatever right. but their interaction you know everything from the first moment when mando reaches his hand out into the uh the pram and the child reaches his finger up um and they touch fingers or whatever they're about to touch fingers in chapter one yeah, that the fact that when the child is playing with the little knob off of the in the razor crest and that yep. becomes the mo- the kind of the instigator for Mando to go back and rescue him um, all the way to the looks, you know, in chapter three, when it looks like they're about to get killed um, by the guild, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, before the, mm-hmm. the rest of the Mandalorian show up, mm-hmm. Mando looks at the child and you know is and this, it was it was it was one of the best moments of the the show man because like the dude has on a mask but he looks at the child and it was clearly 
a look of I failed you, you know, and we're all, we're about to die. Um, so there's all these moments. I'm not going to keep going through them, but there's all these moments in chapter or in season one of interaction between Mando and the child that mean a great deal for the show. And I felt that for them to have a 55 minute episode that premiered, that debuts the whole season. And there's not one real interaction, you know, between them. The closest thing is probably when, you know, all jokes aside is when the child closes his own pram. That was like an intimate moment between between them because he knows mm-hmm. his dad is about mm-hmm. to get down. So it's like, let me mm-hmm. let me get to safety. But there's no there's no you know, the child was just there to be cute this episode. And there was no, you know, stay. There wasn't even a stay here. I'll be right back. You know, saying there was none of that. Um, and I thought that was a mistake. What do you think about that? Um, well, you preempted what my last comment was about Pedro and and that moment. That moment when he sees that. Cobb has taken off his helmet mm-hmm. said to me that okay that's probably the time when Pedro's actually in the suit because you figure that he's gone through character development and study and thinking through you know how he would respond to certain things or how Din Djarin would feel about certain things it just mm-hmm. seems like a disconnected you think stunt that actor like a, wouldn't be able to wouldn't do that really, yeah because mm-hmm. I had that same feeling too I mean that was a real that was a real that was acting. What what that what the hell moment? <laughs> right. And I even got a little bit of that when Cobb ordered the drink in the first place. I felt like <laughs> I felt like Mando kind of sighed at him, like, "Well, how the hell are you about to drink that? Is that for later? <laughs> are you are you about to go? This, about, we need this to have a conversation. You about to go into right, a back room pour or something? Through the drink? hole in the top of the helmet. <laughs> I mean, how are we gonna? <laughs> how are you gonna make this happen, buddy? Right, that's a good point though. Yeah, he ordered the drink, so he kind of had a feeling. But that, so you're saying though that that was that was a moment of acting that you felt that definitely spoke to the fact that Pedro was in that. That suit. Pedro was probably in the suit to be able to pull that off uh, physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and since you did bring up the lack of interaction between Mando and the child, um, I'll preempt my discussion and my feeling about the the, the child himself in the story. Um, where I felt I felt that same kind of reciprocity because at the end of the episode, when Mando makes, you know, the second ultimate sacrifice and actually allows himself to be eaten along with the banta mm-hmm. by the dragon, at no time in this episode does the child use the force. Mm-hmm. Now that in and of itself isn't a problem because it's not like the child used the force in every episode of season one. Mm -hmm. But my thing is when the child first used the force to protect him, protect him was to protect Mando. And that was a climactic moment of the episode, a climactic moment of episode eight was when the child stopped the flames that were being Mm -hmm. thrown at them. Mm -hmm and saved everybody's life mm-hmm. was a moment of sacrifice. I believe very specific to Mando. Mm-hmm. Everybody else that happened to be there, well, they got that benefit too, but I'm, <laughs> I'm stepping in to protect my protector. <laughs> right. My thing was, okay, a big ass dragon Just has swallowed <laughs> whole your guy. <laughs> And you not using the force, to me, it would have been a, an immediate visceral reaction mm-hmm. consistent with the character. 
to pull that whole dragon up out the sand. Maybe he couldn't see. Maybe he had already hit his little button on his pram and he was like hitting. Because <laughs> he did do a lot of hiding. I don't know. I got to watch maybe, it again. But I thought that I thought that there was I thought that there was a maybe a two shot, shot even of Cobb and the child. Mm-hmm. After after Mando got sometime eaten. within this sequence where he mm-hmm. would be able to see that. Oh, shit, this is the plan. You know, <laughs> hold, hold, hold up. Anybody, anybody let me know nothing. Right. I didn't get a me, wink. You're going to leave me with this, this you know? be Boba Fett? <laughs> like, yeah, and it just seemed, happen. right. And it, and, and it did. It just, it seemed like a really big hole mm-hmm. that the child would just be okay with this. Or at least maybe, wait, let's wait and see with this. Maybe he had faith in Mando. He knew like Mando's got something planned. But no, I, I'm with you. I, that, that does seem a little out of, out of step with, um, because he also almost tried, he almost tried to kill Cara Dune. Remember when they were arm wrestling? Oh yeah, yeah. They were right. They were just playing right over an arm wrestle. So you telling me a big sand dragon that you've seen has just eaten up all kinds of things: bantas, people, sand people, humans, right? All kinds of stuff. Throwing up on people. You've seen all this. Speaking of the uh, quick side side step. Speaking of the the um the, the crate dragon, do you think? Was this Favreau knowing, because he was writing this over a year ago, um, did, knowing that Dune was was supposed to drop, you know, right about now, was this like him? Because, like, I mean, this is, I mean, this, come on, man. I did oh, think, y'all, like, oh, okay. Y'all well, got they, a sand so worm? Gotta, y'all have a sand worm? They got a sand dragon. <laughs> right. Yeah. We got a sand dragon. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, I, I don't know if budgets increased on this film, on this, this season, but man, this was an epic episode. It was like, all it was like a movie you know it was like the sand mm-hmm. dragon was um i don't know how much they spent on that but it felt very very epic um which also reminded me i meant to ask you did you notice when the screen ratio changed did you notice when it went from 16:9, which is you know the the bars the black bars huh. to full screen which i think is 21 21 9 did you notice i did that? not notice i did not notice that when you go back and watch it happens very naturally um when the sand dragon at the end first comes out you know when the um when the cray dragon first comes out so the tuscans you know three of the tuscans roll up to you know um to wake call it up. in right yeah, and then up. they take off and then as the dragon is coming out of the cave the screen ratio it just gradually grows into almost like imax so it oh, fills wow. up the whole screen which also raises the question were it not for the pandemic was this episode supposed to be in theaters you know, mm-hmm. in, you know, New York, Chicago, L.A. or something like that, San Francisco, uh, which they've done before. You know, I think they did that with uh, what was that horrible show Marvel put out um, that got canceled? Uh, not the Eternals. Uh, uh, I forgot. Anyway, horrible show. They debuted in um, in theaters and then it got canceled off of television like, you know, six weeks later or whatever. Um, so, yeah. But going back. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That was kind of out of step for um for their, uh, for the child. So before we get to the child, the breakdown of the child's performance, let's talk about the character performance of Cobb Vanth. How did you feel about Cobb Vanth, or as I like to call him, Raylan Jennings? How did you feel about him? Mm. Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> yeah, well, I really, I really like Oliphant's performance. I, I really like Cobb Vanth. I have to say, um, mm-hmm. the the reveal of of the marshal was my favorite moment, and in in. For a couple of reasons. I mean, one, it it, it gave you. It was like the ghost of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. And first of all, it wasn't Boba Fett. Well, you know, 
which you knew immediately. You knew immediately. Yeah, which you knew because you know he the he armor was, didn't fit you know, him he right. He was thin, and you know he was like he was thinner. You know, frail. You could tell the 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 helmet really didn't fit. You know, mm-hmm. and it just seemed like this very disjointed concoction of what people perceive to be. You know, the Mandalorian that's on Tatooine, mm-hmm. and the way that Oliphant would stand. You know, it was a very Western. You know, a very cowboy, mythological cowboy esque portrayal of the character, mm-hmm. um, and you know he had a lot of natural wit. Um, he heard a lot about Mandalorians. You're probably pretty upset that I got this on, <laughs> <laughs> right, which means that only one of us but is walking out of here this alive. Is, right, but this is the, you know this is my thing. This is where you know this is this is what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't scared of Mando. Um, he, it was one of those kind of attitudes where it's like, well, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna make it out alive, but I'm gonna give it my best shot. You know, mm-hmm. if anything, I'm gonna try to take you with me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I like that. I did like that he wasn't, you know, I kind of like that he wasn't really concerned with what the Mandalorian's quest was. Mm-hmm. And I liked that he did kind of portray the, um, and I'm I'm thinking specifically of his relationship with the Tuscans. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the Tuscans are savages, and I have no apologies for them, and I'm not here to go along to get along. Because, you, you know, you, Mando, are telling me to. You right. know, I'm going to stand my ground because I know, you know, I know I'm right based upon my dealings with these people. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I like that because it gave that element of, it's kind of like what we liked in, um, in the last season of Clone Wars. Where, you know, the, where Ahsoka learned that, you know, the Jedi really were snobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know <laughs> very good word for them <laughs> yeah <laughs> right and and i liked i liked that element in in the mandalorian in this context particularly in the western vein mm-hmm. of you know so-called cowboys versus indians mm-hmm. yeah i, I think that I, I think that there was a lot of Raylan givens and i you know i said jennings before excuse me givens he okay, so I'm I'm not a Deadwood fan. I did, I never watched um, HBO Deadwood. I've been told I need to go watch it, so at some point I will. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't either, but, but I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that um, Timmy Timothy Oliphant was in that series, um, playing. You know, it's a western, and then also, but I am a fan of Justified. I watched Justified, um, which was an FX show based on uh, Elmore Leonard's um, book um, or writing short stories. Um, so that was that was a you know that was one of my favorites back in the day. And he played Raylan, you know, Timothy Oliphant played the the main character, Raylan Givens, who was a U.S. Mm-hmm. Marshal in modern day. Mm-hmm. But it was a very much a Western type vibe to that as well. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I saw a lot of that in Cobb Vanth. And now I have not read Cobb Vanth from what I from what I understand. The origin of him is in the Chuck Wendig aftermath books, the Star Wars aftermath books, uh, which, you know, tell what happened after, you know, the fall of the Empire. Um, I haven't read those books, but from what I, from what I can, from what I glean is that Cobb Vanth as portrayed in those books was much more of the Clint Eastwood ilk, 
you know, much more, you know, edgier. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what you saw with with what Timothy Oliphant did, um, he had that edge to him, but he also had, like I said, the Raylan Givens side of him, which was more of a um, a charmer. You know, he's more charming, Mm -hmm. you know, in that Mm -hmm. regard. Mm -hmm. And you got that immediately when he gets the spotchka, sits down, invites Mando to have a drink. Um, I guess I don't know if he's aware that Mandalorians, you know, now don't remove their helmets. Um, mm-hmm. um, maybe the only thing he said, I, I've never read it. He, he says, I never have met. I've never met a real Mandalorian before, um, but he's heard of them, you know, so maybe he's read the old stories or heard the old stories. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he does invite him to have a drink. And then when that crate dragon shows up, I loved how uh, Cobb just kind of like, um, listens for a second and then he kind of raises his finger like one moment you know just like yeah. hold on a second. I, know, <laughs> I know we were about to kill each other but give me a second let me go check this out first and it was a really yeah. good acting moment and he walks out and then when they see it's a cray dragon and you know it eats a bantha and you know it's like you know oh shit now here there's just much something much larger at stake you know than our little squirmish uh-huh. he turns to mando and says maybe we can work something out you know, because it's like I, I, I may, I need your help to do this. So let's put off killing each other for a second, and let's mm-hmm. let me see if you'll help me do this, and then I'll give you back the armor. Mm-hmm. I, I thought his character, man. You know, I thought he, he felt in in one regard he felt very un Star Warsy to me, um, but in another regard he felt very Star Warsy to me. He reminded me of a lot of characters that were introduced to throughout the Clone Wars. Um, you can feel. Dave Filoni's imprint here. I mean, obviously Favreau wrote this and, you know, um, this is his show, but you, you know, we're getting introduced to characters that are kind of Mm -hmm. broadening our understanding of what, you know, Star Wars is about, you know what I'm saying? And it's little by little. And it's again, taking from other genres, which is what George Lucas did anyway, when he, when he created Star Wars. So what Favreau and Filoni are doing are just continuing that by taking, something like Cobb Vanth is clearly from the Western world. You know, he, mm-hmm. he literally says, Arthur, when he sees Mando for the first time, he says something like, um, um, what brings you here, stranger? You know what I'm saying? That's like mm-hmm. directly mm-hmm. out of like 550 Westerns. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like that exact line, you know, so his whole stance, everything. Um, yeah. So I, I dug his, I dug his vibe. Now also let me, let me throw this in. How did I feel about him and his, you know, acquirement of the armor and um, his relationship, non-relationship to Boba Fett, you know, spiritually, whatever. I thought it was really smart of them to make that armor look very ill-suited on him because it did did speak Mm -hmm. to the fact that that's not his. Um, I like the fact that the armor itself was damaged in all the right places. I like the whole... Yeah, the hole. I, I like the hole um, in the top of it because it's like you know that that wasn't a blaster, so it's like was that the you know I, I, a bite I, of the sarlacc or you know I it told I, something I feel, about you know maybe how I, he escaped. I have to Fett. go back and look. I don't know if that hole was that or was it? Did it pre-exist? Was it something? I have to go back and look at like Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back to see if that was already there, because they did have on one part of the armor. I think it was on his um his uh, chest plate there's a mark or something there that I think happened during, I think Luke might've given it to him. So it happened during that, that battle, you know, in, well, um, it's not a hole. There, there is a, it's a white spot though. It's the same mm-hmm. area. So it's mm-hmm. almost like over time it's either worn through or was weakened mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it could be eventually penetrated. 
And then there's but I know also, what you're talking about. I mean, it does exist on the original, uh, you know, the the 1980 and 83 version of Boba Fett's armor. So that was that was great attention to detail. And then there's also the fact that that rocket pack is still malfunctioning because remember, it was Han who accidentally hit it, and what right. that's what sent Boba Fett flying. Right. So here, Mando at some point notices that that rocket pack is not, you know, the way it should be. There's something wrong with that rocket. Pack. So uh-huh. he does the same thing. He hits it where he knows it can hit. He, he he can hit it to make it malfunction, and it malfunctions. So, but I, okay. So bottom line, I like how you know the armor worked with Cobb Vanth. Yeah. Um, yeah. I liked how he he has a code as well. That town means enough to him. That he's willing mm-hmm. to give up that armor if you can help me kill this this crate dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point, I thought, is he going to betray? You know, at the end, is he going to be? Nah, I'm not going to give it to you. And then Mando's going to have to kill him or something. I don't know. But I liked at the end to see that he was a man of his word. He gave it back, no problems. He tells Mando, you know, I'm not the one who damaged that. You know, because we all know it was Han Solo who damaged it. Um, and then. You know, he tells him, I hope to see you again. And we know we probably gonna see him again at some point later in the season. We'll see him again. Um, but overall, I dug his character and I think he brought something. Um, he's a really good actor. And I think he brought something to as a guest star to the show that mm-hmm. I didn't get from the, you know, the Amy Sedaris's or the, you know, mm-hmm. even John Leguizamo's mm-hmm. or um, Horatio. I, I just don't get as much from them as I got from somebody like um uh, from Timothy Oliphant. He's, I guess maybe he's not necessarily a guest star. If he shows up again, maybe he'll be more of a series regular. But uh, I Well, I hope I see more of him. I really do. Um, he was he was the Han, the Han Solo relief that I wasn't necessarily act, asking for. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was the Han Solo without the scoundrel. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you need that in Star Wars. You need that comedic relief, or at least a comedic element that uh helps helps move the story along because other characters react to him right. or her given the right. given the given the character right now two things about his flashback um i mentioned earlier there's another there's an iron man moment in this there's definitive iron man vibes in some of those um visuals like when he's flashing back to how when he got the armor and how he took out the mining coalition cats Mm-hmm. Um, he steps out into the street and they're, they're getting away on a, um, on a transport and he just kind of like, you know, he flips down hits the, the visor, uh-huh. hits the scope and then hits them with the rocket. And it was so much like an Iron Man, the first Iron Man film when Tony Stark, you know, pretty much does the same thing against a tank. Um, and then Tony Stark turns and, you know, you see the tank blow up, but it was really kind of like, I don't know if Favreau did that on purpose, but that's just part of his, you know, filming DNA, but I dug that. Um, so we got a Batman and Iron Man nod in this in this episode. But then the last thing I'll say about Vanth, I do love the fact that in his flashback, <laughs> I always love it to see his he he says and you know he's wandering through the desert on the verge of death, and then he's like, mm-hmm. and then I was saved. And who saves him? The motherfucking Jawas. <laughs> Damn know? Jawas, yeah. I, I I really there's something really cool about the Jawas being the savior. You know, and it's like them little cats, they just out to get theirs all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, they were his savior, you know, because while you out here wandering around in the desert, you know, like an idiot, you know, no food or water, they got their crib wherever they go, wherever they go, they're home, you know, and that's uh-huh. that's how they roll. Um, so I really I really that was funny to me. Um, so I, I thought that was a nice touch. 
So let's move on to uh, you've already talked about the child a little bit, but did you feel anything in terms of the character performance of the child? How did how did you feel? Was there anything else you want to add to what you said earlier about how he performed in this episode? Um, one thing I will say is I, I did like I did like the restraint um, of having too many cute moments mm. because of the overwhelming popularity of the child slash baby Yoda, you mm. know, um, there's sometimes uh, um, a desire to, you know, overdo it. But I think in this one, you had just the right amount of moments. And my favorite moment was when um, um, you see Mando, they're first on the speeder mm-hmm. to go out to Mos, Mos Pelgro and, and, you know, dudes in the back and his, eye, you know, his ears <laughs> are flapping. And he's like, yeah, we, you know, we riding again, you know. Another adventure. Um, <laughs> right. We questing. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> right, right, right. We're questing. Right. Um, that would have been man. Can I kick it? Beat right there. But um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess it's 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 more this. It's just more disappointing that you didn't get the interaction between Mando and the child, mm-hmm. and the. Yeah, I had the same feeling what I described before. I had the same feeling about the child not using the force against the dragon in the same way that I had a problem with uh, Mando holding restraint and not on the prison ship in season one and locking up. When when he was on the rebel, you know, he was on the rebel prison prison ship. Mm Mm-hmm you know, goes, goes predator on everybody and then just ends up locking them into a, into a jail uh, yeah. cell and leaving them there alive. Yeah. I just felt that, I just felt that that was inconsistent which is, with which what we is knew even, about the character. Which is even more inconsistent when you consider what he just did to Gore, Gore, Gore what's his face at the beginning? Yeah. It's like, that's, that was, that was, yeah, we'll have to talk about that more at some point, but that was, um, yeah, that's, that's, it feels even more inconsistent now based on what we just saw in this episode. But yeah. Cause it's right. basically like, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to try to do harm to the child, I'm gonna stop you, but I'm gonna let you live. But if you try to do harm to me, oh no, mm-hmm. you going yeah, out. I'm gonna light you up <laughs> or let a bunch of wild animals eat you. Yeah, right. Um, you know what? One of the things there, I agree with you as far as uh, you know. Again, we we talked about it, the the lack of interaction. There were a few moments though when you did get the sense of um, their familiarity with each other, uh, specifically the child's kind of understanding of his his you know his parental figure. And again, like we talked about the, the, you know, all jokes aside, the pram is one of them, you know, him hitting that button on the pram mm-hmm. um, to, to protect himself. But then also there's that campfire moment. They're all sitting around and it's about to jump off between the Tuscans and Cobb Vanth, the one Tuscan and, and Cobb Vanth. Yeah. You see um, him standing there between Mando's feet. He, yeah. He's standing between Mando's feet and Mando lights it up. He, he ignites yeah. his flamethrower. And the child is not scared at all. The child is just looking at the flame and it's kind of like in awe. He's mm-hmm. seen it so many times and he knows mm-hmm. he's with his, his, his father basically. And you know, he's okay. He's good. And that was, I think that was a little bit of an intimate moment, but yeah, the, the lack of interaction between them, direct interaction between them was a problem. Um, but the one thing that struck me about the child in this episode, cause he didn't do much. He didn't do really anything. Um, although I'm, I'm, you know, again, like you kind of hinted at, I'm not expecting him to use the force in every episode. That would, that mm-hmm. would get kind of a little boring. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think um, what got me about him is that, you know, in the beginning we hear the one character, John Leguizamo's character say, this is no place for a child. 
Yeah. Um, we hear in the in the recap, Mando tells the armorer, you know, my life is, you know, that's not for a child, you know, the life that I live. And then we see in several instances where Mando is like, we'll go into a dangerous situation. And it's like you and I mean, you and I are both parents. We've raised kids. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like maybe as a parent, you're more sensitive to this stuff when you're watching it. But as I was watching it, there were several times where he would like be on the speeder bike, get off, leave the child, and he would walk up and I'm like, dude, yeah. like you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, I mean, you know, can you do right. bring him with you, lock him, put him in the pram, do something? Right. You know, it's like it's like I know that board. you know that he can use the force, but <laughs> right. so far we we don't know if he's gonna. <laughs> right, we don't know if he what kind of control he has over that. You know, you got to do a little bit more here, Dad. You got to do a little bit more. So. There's and the, and he puts him in all these situations and then Cobb Vanth is the one who says, you know, I pegged you as something. Child. Well, he said even before that he says I pegged you as this. You know, basically he says oh, I pegged you as right. a ruthless killer, a man, another Mandalorian like ruthless cold blooded killer. And then yeah, I, my mind kind of changed though when I saw the little one. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I pegged you wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mando is being judged, you know, in a different light when people see people mm-hmm. who are sensitive mm-hmm. to this sees him with the child. But then, like, like you just said, it's followed up with when they get into it and Cobb says, you know, are we going to do this in front of the kid? He's the one that brings up, you know, maybe this isn't something a kid should see. Mm-hmm. And Mando's response is classic. He says he's seen worse. He's and seen I was like, worse. ooh, he has. Yeah. You know, yeah, he has yeah, seen yeah, worse. Yeah. Uh-huh. And what is that doing to him? You know, uh, what's his face? Quill said in season one, remember when he reprogrammed IG-11, Quill was like, you know, he went on that whole, that that excellent montage and mm-hmm. was explaining to Mando that you can change, you know, people aren't who they are. It's just basically, basically where they come from or what surrounds them, their environment shapes them. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. even though IG-11 was a killer, whatever type of droid he was, um, he can be reprogrammed, you know, cause he's a droid and you can teach yeah. him differently for people like us, you know, for humans or for humanoids. Um, it's about what shapes us. And so Mando, I think that's a, I think it, it'll be interesting to see if they take that someplace this season and really kind of put it to like, dude, maybe you should, you know, have stayed with Omera on that planet in season, uh-huh. uh, in chapter four, um, for the child, you know, maybe that would have been the best thing for you to do. Because look at what you're exposing them to. Like this, I mean, it's like this is some of the most violent Star Wars. This is the most violent Star Wars period. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And yep. cinematically, yep. you know, the Clone Wars was hella violent. You know, beheadings all the time. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, there was constant beheadings in the Clone Wars. But this is some of those violent Star Wars, and it's like, yeah, the child is in the middle of this. Um, so if there's any kind kind of um, I don't know if there's any kind of proclivity to lean towards the dark side, if you experience a lot of violence as a child. Uh, mm-hmm. he might, or anger he might, or fear <laughs> anger uh-huh. or fear yeah he might once he finally runs into some Jedi they may be like okay you exposing him to all that is not good for our cause you know you might he might be a Sith in, uh, in, in 200 years or whatever alright so what's uh what's next uh, your boy Boba okay, so last one yeah last one um, and yeah I wanted to talk about Boba Fett obviously going into this season that was the big news and Boba Fett and, and Ahsoka Tano were the big news. Mm-hmm. Um, and so did you think, you know, prior to this episode, did you think we were going to get Boba Fett right out the gate? Or did you think that, you know, maybe that'll be episode five or six or something like that? Nope. I thought we were going to get Boba right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. I thought that we were going to get Boba. I can't, well, I can't honestly say in the way that we got him at the very end. And, you know, he's 
views the whole thing from this, you know, this high summit and turns mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Um, so much as I did think that once we were going back to Tatooine, okay, we're gonna we're we're gonna see Boba somewhere. Now, did you think though when you saw Cobb Vanth in Boba's armor, and it was clearly that was not Boba? Was there any part of your mind that's like, oh? we're going to have this episode just dealing with the cat who has Boba's armor. And then maybe later on in the season, we'll actually get to Boba. Did you have that thought at all? No, I didn't. I didn't have that thought. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that thought. Mm-hmm. Now, we'll, we'll, huh? No, go ahead. Yeah. So what I will say is that I like the way that Favreau did the reveal, even as somewhat cliche, it, it happened. And we mm. see that a lot in Star Wars where there's, you know, someone looking and then we turn and, oh, you know, um, mm-hmm. Boba still being alive, even with his presumed demise in um, Return of the Jedi, was way more plausible than Palpatine's survival. <laughs> right. <laughs> so right. once I'm, you get incinerated, I'm, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, so I'm kind. I'm, I'm, you know, so I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Um, I, you know what? I'm actually convinced that it was Boba who comes, um, comes upon uh, uh, Fennec Shan in the Gunslinger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that was Boba. I don't think that that was Gideon. And what um, Cobb Vanth? We couldn't. Cobb Vanth well, has I don't, the same. I, I know. I don't even think that was Cobb Vanth, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think that was Cobb Vanth. Um, I, the reason why I think it's Boba is because Boba, being a, an assassin himself, probably knew Shan, definitely knew of her, and probably knew that she was on Tatooine, hiding out. Because mm-hmm. because clearly the way that Boba gets revealed, like he's 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 not in any kind of armor or anything like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's in robes, you know, you clearly see his face and head. Um, he's living in the shadows in some ways. He knows how to, he knows how to survey information. He knows where stuff's jumping off. He, 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 he's got a bigger picture of what's going on Mm -hmm. on Tatooine. So it, it, to me, I have absolutely no doubt. I'd be shocked otherwise. I, but right now I have absolutely no doubt that that was Boba Fett that came upon Fennec Shan. In, in chapter five, the gunslinger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little, um, I feel a little bit better about Boba being a part of this. Um, I don't even think that Boba wants his armor back. Mm-hmm. Um, because you figure Cobb Vanth has had his armor for a while, you know? Five uh, years. So he's, he's at least good with that. Um, mm-hmm. but we do see that he's intrigued by the Mandalorian mm-hmm. and why that's the question. Why? So, right. you know what, Les, and I, I feel like at some point I probably will go back and look at, um, those clone war, clone wars episodes that focused on young Boba Fett, um, when he was a kid after his, after his father had been killed by, uh, by, uh, Mace. Um, yeah. and then young Boba Fett starts his career as a bounty hunter. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm going to go back and look at those because here's what this here's what it did for me. And I, I told I said and when we were talking about favorite moments that that last image of Boba Fett was my favorite moment episode because it sub, I heard to use this term because it's overused, but it subverted my expectations. 
And mm-hmm. it, it surprised me. Basically, it surprised me. Because before this season started, when they said, okay, Boba Fett's coming back, I'm like, okay, so we're going to, they're going to, it's going to be some big moment where I think we may have even talked about this, but it's going to be some big moment. Oh, we talked about this with ah- Ahsoka. That's what we, we talked about this. Like her reveal would probably be, you know, her saving Mando or something you, via the yeah. force. Yeah. But with, even with Boba Fett, I thought it would be a big moment where he would turn around and you just see Boba Fett in the armor and it's like, oh, Boba Fett's back. That's what I mm-hmm. thought was going to happen. So when when Tamara Morrison turns around and you see again, like you said, he's wearing like almost, I think he's it's almost like he's living amongst the Tuscan Raiders because he has on their kind of a similarity to their robes. He has on one of those the, their guns, the the, the, mm-hmm. the rifles that they use. And I think mm-hmm. the other encounterman he has is, is something else from the Tuscan Raiders. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if he's living amongst them, um, you know, uh, on Tatooine for like, cause this has been five years. He fell into the pit five years, you know, that yeah. was five years ago. Yeah. Um, but then you see his face is scarred. Mm-hmm. He looks much older than mm-hmm. the Boba Fett that we knew in Return of the Jedi. I don't know why, cause there's nothing to indicate it. Um, unless I guess if, if we do the math and we go back to when, cause we know when he was created um was what attack of the clones i think was yes. around that so if we do the math maybe we could figure out his age but i didn't i didn't think by this time he would be you know he looks like he's maybe in his 50s or 60s you know he looks like they're calling him online i already saw like old man old man fet you know mm-hmm. um but i really liked it man because it just completely surprised me it was nothing like i thought his reveal would be in this season i yeah. thought again i was going to be the big shiny armor boba fett you know, all that stuff that when we were kids, kids got excited about because he looks so cool. That's where yeah. the whole yeah. Boba Fett man- mania started because he looked cool. It wasn't, yeah. we didn't know shit about this dude. You know, back in the mm-hmm. early 80s, mm-hmm. nobody knew anything. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. looked cool. He had a cool ship. He out. He somewhat outsmarted Han Solo. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why we liked him in Empire. He's not, he's not scared of Darth Vader. He's not scared of Darth Vader. He seems he's sinister. There's something sinister about him. And Vader seems to have respect for him. You know, so mm-hmm. it was like there was all these things that combined to make us kind of like dig this cat. Um, and some people became super fans. So when I, that's what I thought we were going to get in his reveal. So to see him turn around and even before he turns around, because I knew that was him. Um, but mm-hmm. to see him, you know, in that gear and then when he turns around and it's like this solemn look on his face. I was like, what's this cat been through? You know, what has been going on mm-hmm. in the last five years? Um, what how you're did, trying to get out of that Sarlacc. Climbing out of the sand for five years. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that it immediately intrigued me. He looked interesting. And I was wondering, OK, like you, I'm like, I don't think he's even interested in armor. He's he could he's had five years. He could have went and got it some other time. Yeah. I don't think he's interested in armor. I don't know what he's interested in, but is this is this going to be some type of redemption story where he's going to, you know, we're going to find out that he's, he's been spending the last five years, like dwelling on his life or some shit. And then, you know, now he's about to go do something different. I don't know, but he looked intriguing to me and I got to give it up to Favreau to take this character who originally Favreau wanted to do this show about was Mm -hmm. about Boba Fett. But then, you know, Mm Lucasfilm was like, no. So he created the Mandalorian and then they gave him Boba Fett anyway. Um, for him to again subvert the expectation and to create something interesting now who knows it could go off the rails next episode arthur it could be horrible right. or whenever whenever boba fett shows up again it could be terrible but just looking at what we have so far 
it looks so interesting. And I have to give Favreau credit for that because that that's a difficult thing to do. And it's a very, very intelligent thing to do to take this character and add that much depth with a look. It was just like one look, one turnaround, one walk away, walk towards mm-hmm. the camera. He's looking mm-hmm. at the twin sons, like Luke looked at the twin sons. It was just like, there's a lot of depth, a lot of gravitas in that moment. Um, so I thought that was cool. Really quickly, though, to speak to something um, that you touched on, they did hint at how he may have gotten out of that pit because remember, um, somebody said something about an empty Sarlacc pit. Right. And Cobb was like, there's no such thing. And Mando was like, yeah, there is if you eat the Sarlacc. So maybe that crate dragon mm-hmm. ate that Sarlacc. I don't know if he just stuck his mouth on the top and sucked his ass out. I don't know how, I don't know how that would work. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what goes on on the underground, you know, subterranean mm-hmm. networks of Tatooine. There must be a mm-hmm. whole thing going mm-hmm. on there where, you know, mm-hmm. crate dragons and uh, uh, whatchamacallits are just getting into it. But yeah. maybe that's what happened. And then somehow maybe Boba Fett's armor um, protected him from getting, you know, because comp- he does have scars. Um, mm-hmm. And his and, and Mando was inside of that that crate dragon with all that acid or whatever that he was spewing out, and he came mm-hmm. out cool. So mm-hmm. that may have been yeah. A, I a mean, hint it, of what's it was happen. yeah. The plausibility of of Boba Fett's survival that's fine with me because I'm yeah it, it, that that's that's fine. I, I can because we have accepted a lot we in Star Wars right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we, we've been told we've seen we worse. Accepted all of <laughs> we've it. accepted yeah, we've, worse. Yeah, we we, we haven't accepted because we still you know both you and I kind of just wrote off. You know, the emperor is like, okay, whatever. Um, but yeah, so, but yeah, I, I think it's plausible. And I guess they've had a lot of time to think about this. You know, shit, mm-hmm. Favreau's had most of his life to think about this. I'm sure he's come up mm-hmm. with a bunch of scenarios mm-hmm. of how Boba Fett survives. So it seems like they're, they're on the right path. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anything else to say about um, Mr. Fett? Um, I do think I agree with you. I do think it was him who found Fennec Shan. Um, it'll be interesting to know where she is and what, because also there, here's something I want to ask you. Boba Fett, this is five years later after return of the Jedi, the Republic, the new Republic is in charge. Yeah. I'm not sure where Han Solo is right now, but I know that the new Republic, they, you know, you saw in that episode the, that you mentioned earlier um, when they were on the penal, uh, the, 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 the floating jail, basically, um, the jail ship, they locked up. They, you know, they had actively found, you know, some old empire people, you know what I'm saying? It's like, and then right. you kind of get the sense that Moff Gideon is kind of on the outer realm, uh, outer reaches because, you know, he can't get to whatever, because the new Republic might snatch his ass up. You got to think Boba Fett, Boba Fett is on somebody's list, right? Like if, if he, if they knew he was alive, you know, yeah. what I'm because he was yeah. he was hanging out with Vader. He was right yeah. up there with the yeah. with the with the, with yeah. the huts. I you think know, he, he get was right to up where, there. Yeah. So if he if they knew he was alive, if he he's got to be in hiding because he can't reveal himself. Because if word gets out that he's alive, that could be problems for him. So it's going to be interesting to see. Might may we we might get you know maybe because we did see in the trailer those X wings. Remember those X wings in the trailer, right? Um, maybe we'll get a little bit more New Republic showing up in this season. Um, and maybe that'll tie into Boba Fett at some point. Maybe he'll be like, nah, I can't do X, Y, and Z because, you know, I'm, you know, the empire has fallen. And I was, although I was not a member, I was an affiliate, you know what I'm saying? I was, yeah. I was a, a freelancer, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Part-timer. So that could be, that could be interesting. Um, 
so listen before okay so last last thing what's the last section we want to get into before we uh, wrap it up well looking at the big picture things that uh this episode could lead to in the overarching uh story of this season um, okay so yeah i wanted to ask you one question before that really quickly what did you mention the tuscan raiders and the kind of the parallels between what they're doing with them and like the old cowboys and indians type stuff of old how do you feel about because obviously they are drawing analogies between the tuscan raiders and these settlers quote-unquote settlers um that we see in this episode of moss moss pelgo pelgo we're seeing parallels between that and you know the old cowboy alien or cowboy aliens cowboys and indians thing so Mm -hmm. what how do you feel about that did you have any thoughts on on what they're how they're portraying that? Because um, there were several kind of on the yeah. nose moments. One thing that really that jumped out at me was at the campfire, where um, Mando he's with uh, he's with he's with Vanth, mm-hmm. and Vanth is offered a drink by a by a Tuscan. And he's offered this drink, you know, you know, as a way of um, uh, at least as a friendship gesture, as a goodwill mm-hmm. gesture. And Vanth doesn't want to drink it. And Mando says, you know, they say that your people have—I forget the exact line—but basically that your stolen people have, have, have stolen all their water. <laughs> right. You know, now you won't drink this offering, mm-hmm. and it starts to escalate. And um, every time up until this moment, there has never been anything provided that would give you a sympathetic view of the Tuscans. Mm-hmm. And but that line gave a whole lot of information of their vantage point, which is basically that, you know, the humans coming there, they're. They're stealing the resources. They're, They're occupiers. They don't yeah. belong here. Right. We've been here. Um, another part of uh, uh, another bit of information is when Mando um, says to the group of settlers, mm-hmm. when Vanth has to basically sell this idea that we need to join forces with the Tuscans to be able to defeat, you know, to be able to kill this dragon. Um. You know, the the body of people, the settlers, they, you know, they're clamoring like, yo, we're not, we not rolling with them. They're raiders. They steal our mind. You know, they raid our minds, this and this. And Mando comes up and, and is like, was this, this when? When he talks about how uh, how the Tuscans have survived generations in the Dune Sea. Yeah. And they yeah, know they, that creature they, better yeah. than anybody. Yeah. Better than any of y'all. They've been here for thousands of years. Um, and then the one guy, the bartender who... Incidentally, you know, from our point of view, probably looks like most like a monster. He's the one who raises his hand. He's like, they're monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a bit of a. (laughs) It was a bit of a mirror moment. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that's the point when Mando said. And and also he said something similar in season one. Remember, he tells the kid um, who's like, you know, says something about the sand people being, you know, invader. He said, well, to you, to to them, you're the invader, you know. Oh, right. Um, Yep. 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 Yeah. Oh, but also so, how the Tuscans have been studying the digestive system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they know how long it'll sleep. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So they're in tune. So with right. They're, it's like they're in tune with the environment. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. have a lot to offer. Were it not for and 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 the the Tuscans will keep the peace as long as the occupiers 
don't break it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that just in really quickly, I know we need to wrap up, but I think that the analogy that I'm seeing is again, different. You know, we hadn't gotten this before in the Lucas era, you know, they were just sand people. They were just whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can clearly see that in this era, there's an attempt to be saying, Oh no, you have to look at things from their point of view. Okay, cool. That's, that's nice. Mm-hmm. But there's also the feeling of, okay, the main kind of like analogy or the main kind of um, parable that's almost being told is that, hey, let's, if we, we all have something in common, if we work together and put our differences aside, then it's all good. But it's mm-hmm. like, if you really wanted yeah. to draw an analogy between, you know, you know, settlers, North American settlers and indigenous people, and then take that and draw an analogy between that and what you're doing on this show between Tuscan Raiders and settlers on Tatooine, it really be like, you know what? These settlers have come in and slaughtered, you know what I'm saying? Thousands and thousands of us. They've stolen land. Um, They've spread disease. They've done all types of, you know, horrific things to us. Um, And now they're asking for our help, you know, or now we have a common enemy or something like that. That's a more accurate analogy. I think what we're seeing is an analogy that's kind of like the after school kid, you know, after school program or whatever analogy mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of assuages guilt almost. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then also kind of presents a very pat and very sanitized um, view of what actually happened. You know, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, if you're going to talk about indigenous people and compare them to um, Tuscan Raiders, it wasn't just that they got their water stolen. You know what I'm saying? That that what that wasn't just it. It was much yeah. more than that. Yeah. And so I, I think that on one hand, yeah, it's nice to see Star Wars draw those analogies, um, and not just present these people as savages, um, the way they did in the in the previous era. But at the same time it's like you're still sanitizing it in a way that's almost just as bad. You know, you're 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 trying to draw these analogies, but you're not willing to actually go with the truthful route, which is irritating. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that when I see that, you know, um, the kind of, and, and again, it's all from point of view as well. We never really get the Tuscan point of view. There's no, no. scene that's like told from their point of view. Y- yeah, it's Mando is the mediator the, of this. And you do recognize that Mando knows a lot about Tuscan culture, has communicated mm-hmm. with several of them over the mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um, is accepted by them. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but no, you don't get the real deal, holy field of it. And, and you know, and another thing that it just hit me was that the Tuscans were very instrumental in solidifying the, the anger, pain, fear, doubt in Anakin Skywalker because of the, of the snatching up of his mom mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. her death being at their, at their hands or being directly responsible, the Tuscans being directly responsible uh, for her death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was just something I want to touch on really quickly. Um, my big picture, you know, as far as what this episode means for the entire season, I think if you would have told me going into this, Hey, you know, Pharaoh is going to set up the season with an episode. That's a side mission. I'd have been like, nah, I'm not with that at all. Um, yeah. based on what happened in season one, um, mm-hmm. with those three side missions. But I got to say, man, again, this was a quest wrapped up in a quest and mm-hmm. it was like a it was like a mini film. You know, it was very um, even though I knew Mando was not, you know, not in any danger of getting killed or anything. 
it felt very um, climatic when he comes out of that dragon's mouth at the end, and you see he's a, he's used that part of that that weapon in his gun where he's you know the same one he used on that zap, ice yeah, dragon or whatever the hell that thing was in chapter one, mm-hmm. um, which is a that's a powerful weapon, man. And it's it's irritated that dragon to the point where he he spits him out, and then Mando hits that button and the music swells. It's like wow, this is this is why we watch this shit. You know, this is mm-hmm. one of the major reasons we watch this stuff to see those hero moments. Um, so I, I thought that this set up the season very well in the sense that it really reinforced some of Mando's key characteristics um, and really actually entertained me without moving the narrative forward. The overall mm-hmm. narrative didn't get moved forward other than the fact that we found out, you know, all jokes aside, we found out that Mando's going around the galaxy telling everybody he's been quested. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, we really didn't get too much movement, you know, forward on the main narrative. We got movement forward definitely on the Boba Fett front. Um, yeah. But yeah, the main narrative didn't get too much of a push. And I'm okay with that. I really like this episode. Um, so yeah, I, I'll be interested to see if you watch it again, if your opinions stay the same or if they change. But if they, either way, I think it's going to be interesting as we move forward because um, it's always interesting when there's some DO, some diametric opposition um, between us. That's always good. Yeah, I do think that this is um, a setup for the rest of the season, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, this really is going to be a slow burn on how this story is told, and mm-hmm. the disappointments that I have in this episode are 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 dampened by by that overall sentiment. Mm-hmm. Now, one prediction that I would like to make is that Boba Fett, because you know, Boba sees, we can presume that Boba sees all of this, this final standoff between the dragon and the unification, or at least a partnership, however tenuous it is, between, you know, the humans and humanoids and and the Tuscan people, mm-hmm. um, that you've got this Mandalorian. Now, one thing that we know about Boba is that he absolutely positively does not like Jedi. And he probably has some real ambivalence toward the force, but Mm. he's been exposed to a great deal of it between what he's seen of the force as performed by the Jedi and what he's seen of the the force performed by the Sith, specifically Mm. Darth Vader. Um, I would not be surprised that he has saved Fennec, that he somehow, some way throughout these uh, chapters connects with uh, Gideon, Mm. finds out about, because he's also, he's a bounty hunter. It's been five years, but I mean, he hasn't forgot any of the tracking techniques that he's developed. Mm -hmm. He finds out about the child and connects with Gideon and acts as um, um, a colleague, well, colleague, but I'm just saying, you know, whether Gideon pays him or however that goes. Right. But, Fett is going to join on to steal the child. Mm. Yeah. You know what? I mean, now that you said that, it's like there is at this point sitting here, having watched chapter one and chapter two a week away and all these, you know, and then there's, you know, six more chapters after that. There are so many ways this could go. And there's so many different stories. It's like Mm -hmm. you got the quest, you got the anti-quest you know what I'm saying? Which is Gideon's right. quest. He's got the anti-quest. You got uh, Ahsoka showing up. Right. We you know, know Ahsoka's coming. 
we know Ahsoka's coming. We we got um we still got uh uh, uh Apollo and um um Grief Cargo. Grief Cargo and Cara Dune. Yeah. You know, so it's like we have all these things, which way are they gonna go? You know, we got the armor, we got Mando you know, Mando's yeah. personal you I know, forgot about her. She's, stuff, yeah, you, know. you have to assume that she is very much alive. Right. After and and the whole Mandalorian thing, like what's you know what? How did the Mandalorians get to this point? You know, where they're hiding in coverts. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened during the Great Purge? You know, it's like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of lore and mythology that they're setting up, and I don't think obviously it's not all going to get paid off in an eight, eight episode season. Um, I do wonder if more of these episodes are going to be like this one, where they're like fifty or fifty five minutes long. Um, but yeah, there's a lot to get to, man. And it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what, how all this plays out, um, and where we're at, you know, now, on help me out time in, of end of episode eight, help me out in the clone wars. We know that there are episodes of a young Boba Fett, mm-hmm. but does he have any interaction with Ahsoka? Yeah, I do not know. I thought, I, I, see, I, I, thought I don't so. think so. I don't think so, but I don't know. I don't know. Because okay. I, I watched those episodes, man, it's probably 10 years ago, you know, so I have to go back and that's what I say. I'm probably I'm more motivated now to go back yeah. and watch those yeah. episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because, I mean, know, I do see lines being drawn here. Mm-hmm. He may have had some interaction with um with Ahsoka. Um, but I, so, yeah, I'll, I'm going to go. I'm actually going to Google and find out which episodes those are and then um, seek those out. But. Uh, yeah, I you know that. And that's the question. Is Ahsoka's introduction on the show going to be through the Boba Fett narrative or is it going to be through straight Moff Gideon or is it going to be mm-hmm. something else that we don't even know about yet? The force know? narrative, the, Je- the force slash Jedi narrative. Right. Is she, is she, maybe she's looking for the child, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Cause I don't know um, if we maybe, touched on this, but it's is really Luke, significant. Is Luke looking for the child? You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, please. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> but, um, I was going to say that the armorer, when she was relaying the history to, uh, to Mando, you know, she never she never says the force, but she does say Jedi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here, you know, we have uh, Sedaris's character when she sees Baby Yoda, you know, she says, thank the force or whatever. Right. <laughs> right? So it's right. like there are these two there are these two concepts where mm-hmm. to a lot of people, the Jedi, you know, basically are the force. That, mm-hmm. And they don't have the the idea of this concept, this other concept of of you know all energy being connected because of this one great force mm-hmm. in, the, in the galaxy. Well, so it's, it's the opposite for other people. Yeah. All right. Cool. Let's. Uh, so I don't know if we're going to do um, you know discussions for every episode. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to do that, but um, we will be doing more of these throughout the season of the Mandalorian. I'm not sure if we're just going to choose which ones. Um, obviously the, you know, the final episode, the big, you know, uh, the season finale, that'll definitely have to be something we dive deep into, but, um, we'll see. So, but in the meantime, definitely you guys listening, let us know your thoughts on chapter one of, or chapter, excuse me, chapter nine of the Mandalorian, the Marshall, um, and more specifically, let us know, you know, your predictions, thoughts, wishes, dreams for the rest of the season, um, that will take place every Friday from here until early or mid December. Um, so yeah, but thank you guys for, for checking it out, checking this episode out and definitely let us know your thoughts, uh, on Twitter. Um, just hashtag mad unreal. Man, you close this out nicely.
Oh, you still got to do the, you know, clap, you, still gotta, <laughs> you still got to do all the promos and the, you know, check out our other shows and all that stuff. I, I, I leave, I, I left that for you. I left you something. Did you? <laughs> I left you something. Man Unreal episode 28. My name is Arthur. That is Isaac. We also participate in a four man collective called The Music Snobs. Uh, with Jahan and Scoop Jackson. Uh, our current episode on Bill Withers is in your feeds. Uh, find us on www.themusicsnobs.com. We have a follow-up episode uh, that should be available shortly at the time of this episode's been recorded. And we are gathering very soon uh, to close that season of that show out. Yeah, man. Hashtag Man on Real. We'll see you next week. Peace. Keep it unreal. <laughs>